I left off last time mentioning about 64 slice CT and the three big advantages, and that's what we're going to pick up today. So we always talk about spatial resolution, temporal resolution, and isotropic data sets. Recognizing, as I commented before, spatial resolution is a bit under 0.4 millimeters typically, and temporal resolution will vary depending on whether you're doing a 64 slice scanner at 160 to 180 milliseconds or a dual source at 75 milliseconds. Now of course with 64 slicer better we always have essentially isotropic data sets which means scan in one plane and visualize in any plane. Now of course many of these things particularly the uh, temporal resolution really focuses on cardiac CT. You're trying to look for a 50% stenosis in a 4 or 5 millimeter vessel with a beating heart so that's particularly the real critical point in some of the uh, articles in, with spatial resolution but in saying that it goes beyond cardiac CT these findings that is the speed of acquisition the resolution even things like the liver very simply shown here large mass in the liver consistent with hepatoma but when you use the study properly you look at the MIP images and now look at the neovascularity you see look how nice you can see the neovascularity of the patient's primary tumor meaning an aggressive hepatoma you can see it particularly well with MIP imaging in a range of perspectives and again very nicely shown so we go beyond cardiac CT by using the timing with fast scanners and looking at how things behave, we have lesion signatures. So we look at focal nodular hyperplasia, which has hypervascular, but only as hypervascular as the IVC-type mass, not as bright as the aorta. We see a sensual scar, which is helpful, but not diagnostic. We see a feeding vessel, which is an enlarged, and the feeding vessel is smooth, not irregular like the vessels I showed you a moment ago. And this is classic for FNH, as opposed to this lesion, which has an enhancing rim, but a halo around it and unusual vessels feeding into it, representing neovascularity, and that was a metastatic neuroendocrine tumor, but you knew for sure it was malignant. When we talk about isotropic resolution, every one of those 3D images I just showed you is dependent on that isotropic resolution data set because we want to display things in an infinite number of planes. And we're able to do it. And of course, we do make the point always that you need to think about how you read images. As I commented, axial CT is a start, but you need to look at multiplanar routinely, whether it's interactive MPR that you create or the technologist created the scanner. And then you need, in many cases, 3D imaging. And I prefer interactive 3D as opposed to images generated by someone else like the technologist. I think the interactive is really the way to go. And I've made the point far too many times about the importance of the information generated from CT really is best appreciated and may only be appreciated in the volume and that is no different than other scientific areas where with any scientific visualization it's this ability to look and understand complex data sets that's optimized by how you display the information. That this visual display enables you to perceive features which are hidden in the data but are necessary for a data exploration and analysis. It lets you see things. And I show just a couple examples here, this little dot at the arrow asking you what it is and it's hard to be certain 
But it's easy to be certain that when you look at the 3D and you see it's the patient's left adrenal vein, that's not so hard. Or this case, when I show you Crohn's disease and say, yes, I could diagnose it axially with thickened bowel halo and some increased fat around the bowel. But I also can say that I see it better in coronal, where I see the full extent of involvement and the abnormal bowel wall enhancement and the stricturing. But then I can say I see it much better when I look at that data set with MIP and I see the prominent vasorecta, meaning this active disease present and meaning the patient needs to be treated aggressively. But I can see it even better as I go from MIP imaging to volume rendering, where I'm able to show not only the prominent vasorecta, but the thickening of the small bowel and the stricturing that is present. Again, the information gained is substantial, but it's the same acquisition, the same data set. And more than, or as much as even you making the diagnosis, it's you explaining the diagnosis to the referring physician. And in this case, with an incredible example of a pseudoaneurysm, it's the 3D maps that show you where it arises from, which was the suture line in a patient with ascending order repair. It shows relationship to the right coronary and to a focal dissection that's present above it. You get all the information in a very limited amount of pictures, which is very important for image transfer. Having thousands and thousands of images does not improve the information information transfer, it may actually decrease it. Now, when we talk about CT these days, and we've spoken about this for many years, that post-processing tools are being designed to be effective for specific applications and not global applications. There's some things like segmenting tools for bone or vessels, which is somewhat generic, but then we have special coronary packages and stent packages and packages for oncology and packages for vert colon. So it's very important to understand those packages, make certain you have them, and if you have them on your scanner, make certain you use them and know how to use them, and make certain they're up to date. We talk about simple things. Often too much data is unhelpful and problematic, and perhaps just editing the data, taking out the bony structures, for example, might be very important. And newer techniques like the watershed transform technique make this process automated and fairly easy to do. And we wrote about that and very nicely explained the exact details. But let me show you some examples. Here's cirrhosis, and you can see the ribs in the way, and we look at it as we go into the 3D MIP. You can see the very nice detail of the patent portal vein, but the varices present, but the ribs obscure some of the detail of the liver, and so you take the ribs away, and now look at how much more detail you have. The bony structures added nothing in this case, but if you want to do MIP imaging, you need to remove them. Or this case of Ehlers-Danlos with repair, look at the narrowing of the grafts of the common iliacs, and we want to look at that better, so we'll take away the bony structures. And once we take away the bone in blue, we now can look at things with MIP or with volume rendering, showing you the full spectrum of pathology that's present. Or this case with the left axillary mass, which was breast cancer, you can see the orientation from MIP to MPR to volume rendering, showing you the axillary mass as well as the supracovicular mass, and then being able to segment things out so that I'm very nicely looking at the vascular map, and since when I'm looking at the vessels, I want to see the vessels and not see the bone, I could take the bone away, so I'm seeing the axillary artery, 
uh, downward into brachial, for example. And we talk about bone editing, where the computer can do things you could not do, even if you had the time, like remove these digits. And we do have things like dual energy now, which does better removal of vascular structures and bony structures because they behave differently with dual energy. And with dual energy, we talk about K-edges of different types of structure. So it's a very important area of research. The energy dependence on the photoelectric effect and the variability of K-edges forms the basics for dual energy techniques. And you can see just some specific different elements and their various K-edges and atomic numbers. On the Siemens scanner, we do dual energy with two x-ray tubes, both are at a different KVP, typically 100 and 140. You can do it with a single source, like GE does it, if you change the, uh, the, uh, and flip the different KVPs very rapidly. Uh, dual source tends to make it a bit easier. Um, the good news is it's dose neutral. The good news is you need less IV contrast, it's less subject to artifact, but again you need two tubes which makes it a fairly expensive scanner. Um, but it does indeed work very nicely. There's several things with dual energy. You get an improved contrast profile, you can do bone subtraction, you can do plaque subtraction, you can give lower dose potentially for the same quality study. And a key thing with dual energy, and although we can do really good bone removal, when done correctly, dual energy does it even better and does not remove any of the adjacent structures which can be containing important information. Also, you can see very nicely, you could rapidly switch it into volume rendering or MIP. Or in this example, you can see the runoff with some disease on the right, multiple areas of stenosis and calcifications. Um, so dual energy really improves what we can do in vascular imaging. There's some pitfalls with dual energy. I have seen it remove important structures, so it's not perfect but it's really a good way of doing things and many of the new scanners contain dual energy. Dual energy does other things. I won't want to speak about this in detail. There have been several articles this past year about dual energy for gout and recognizing gout and defining extent. And although gout is usually an easy diagnosis, there's a differential which can be somewhat difficult to separate out. But with dual energy CT, we can differentiate uric acid from calcium in musculoskeletal tissue, allowing gouty urate crystals to be distinguished from bone or dystrophic calcifications. And you can see the author goes on. Dual energy CT is inherently able to distinguish urate crystal deposits from surrounding tissue, provides sensitivity and specificity, um, quantification with no use of variability. And here's how it looks. You see that green? That's all the uric acid being picked up, the uric crystals being picked up. You can see on the uh, regular views the um, lesions by the head of the first um, metatarsal, those so-called large tophi of gout. You can see the soft tissue lesions nicely. And then here we put it into 3D, color-coded bilateral gout. This patient also had elbow and shoulder involvement. Very, very impressive. So it's a visual display. You can quantify and look at how gout changes with, replace, with therapy. So it's things we can do very, very well. And it's an area, as I mentioned, that's growing. We talk about... Um, 
you know, the issues with dual energy, the biggest issues is, you know, high cost of machines is not done on a low cost scanner. It's a high level scanner. And also the fact there's not a whole lot of wealth of information published because the technique is new. But I will tell you that it, I have seen a lot of things on dual energy. I've seen a number of presentations from Alec Megabo and the like. So it is something that's going to be uh, reckoned with over the next couple of years. Now, I mentioned before about editing and also the point that every picture tells a story. That many clinical applications today require additional software applications be developed. So, for example, we can quantify the presence of a nodule. We can both detect it with CAD, but once we get it, we can quantify its size, look at changes in size over time, and determine whether or not this patient uh, is in regression or progression of disease, for example. We also use computers in looking at the virtual colonoscopy, in this case with a polyp. Again, the importance is uh, you're able to non-invasively, or maybe I should say minimally invasively, evaluate the colon with the same accuracy or greater than classic colonoscopy without any of the complications. So again, an important tool, but very dependent on visualization techniques. Or this simple case of a mass in the stomach of vascular lesion, which is enhancing off the lesser curvature, but classic appearance, vascular lesion. Could this be a carcinoid? Absolutely. Is it a great location? Absolutely not. But here it is on 3D. I'm looking right inside uh, of, that, of, of this lesion in the stomach. Just very nice visualization. So I think the point is, whether in the colon, whether in the stomach, whether you're in the, the lungs, CT becomes very, very critical in terms of being able to better define the extent of disease. And here was an article on virtual gastroscopy, and here was an article that we wrote on the airways, and here's just a great case of sequestration. So again, a, th a point I'm making is so much of CT will be influenced by how we look at the images in the future. Uh, these post-processing techniques are available now, though only about 10% of people use them, but they become very important in terms of how we make decision making and how in this case we can be very certain this patient needed surgery and resection of that low because of, of a sequestration. So very, very important. We also talk about tumor detection. The fact that tumors can be picked up much smaller and much earlier these days. And what we're gonna do is we'll pick that up and finish part three in a couple minutes. Thanks very much.